zero. This is the size of the New York State budget deficit in each year of New York State's five-year executive budget financial plan as proposed by Governor Kathy Hochul in January. While true that the revenue estimates rely on continued unabated economic growth, an uncertainty if there ever was one, five years of budget balance is an unprecedented level of fiscal stability for the state, which usually contends with rolling budget deficits year after year. This year is fiscally fascinating as stronger-than-expected tax revenues, unprecedented federal aid, and last year's tax hikes shifted the state's revenue picture from rags to riches. With the coffers filled amply, the proposed all-funds budget for fiscal year 2023 is $216 billion, and the budget proposes to increase state operating funds $10 billion next year, plenty of money to meet many priorities. The governor also proposed adding $15 billion over four years to quadruple the size of the state's reserves, an important action CBC supports wholeheartedly. However, building reserves and all the other areas of the governor's budget proposal are subject to negotiation with the legislature. Leading that negotiation and the governor's budget development is the director of the division of the budget, Robert Mujica, now in his seventh cycle as budget director. He again was kind enough to take the time to discuss the executive budget with CBC's trustees and our listeners. So stay tuned as Budget Director Mujica outlines the governor's proposal and provides an outlook for the state's fiscal future. You also can watch a video of the talk on CBC's website, cbcny.org. And while you're there, why not watch the conversation I had with Governor Hochul last month covering the budget and policy priorities. So be sure to tune in for our next podcast with my co-host Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Until then, take care, New York. Andrew, thank you for that nice introduction, and good morning to everyone. It's great to see everyone's faces, maskless, nice sitting together. I'm waiting for this moment for a long time. And, you know, this recovery, why we're here, is kind of the really the foundation of, of this budget, which is the recovery from the state. So... One year ago, as Andrew mentioned, right, we were looking at budget gaps of $39 billion over four years. Um, it was not DOB's projections. These were outside projections. Every economist nationally were all, we hired outside consultants, were all projecting even worse scenarios, right, than this. We had uncertainty everywhere with regard to the virus, right? We weren't sure if we were getting any federal funding. Um, vaccinations had started, but we needed to get them in everyone's arms across the state. Uh, we had just started with them. And we had restrictions across the board at businesses, right, which we just now, you know, lifted uh, today. And then we, COVID cases were continuing to surge. Today, we're in a very different place. One year later, right, Omicron variant has now receded. Um, we have billions of dollars in federal funding that actually, you know, came to us in March of last year. We're now starting to spend those dollars. Vaccinations are available for anyone who wants them. Um, and state revenues recovered a lot faster than anyone had projected at the time. This is real V recovery, although there is, uh, it is a not uniform recovery, particularly for low wage workers. But from a state revenue perspective, because of our progressive uh, tax structure, revenues have recovered dramatically. But we still have a lot of risks. So if you look at the overall economy, uh, we've recovered right to pre-recession peak. United States GDP has recovered to where we were prior to the pandemic much faster than we thought. Um, the federal stimulus is out there. It's now starting to 
is now starting to wane, but it did its job. But we're still seeing labor shortages. We're seeing supply chain shortages. We're seeing uh, CPI and inflation higher than it's been in decades. Uh, so those are things that we still have to pay attention to. If you look at United States GDP growth and the unemployment rate, so you can see, right, in 2021, the drop in GDP and the unemployment rate hit, you know, 20% in New York City, and then a very fast recovery. Uh, so we recovered, and our forecasts show the recovery in 21, and then projecting out modest growth, almost to pre-pandemic levels, right, in the out years. Uh, so those tracked, and that's nationally. If you look at CPI, again, we're seeing right, high inflation numbers. Again, this is higher, higher numbers than we've seen in 20 years. But we're also projecting that those rates do drop to more normal levels of 2 and 3%. We recently had a revenue forecasting conference uh, a couple of days ago, actually, in, in, the, in the state capital. And the economists will vary, but most of them will say that inflation is going to return to either the 2 or 3% level, which is a lot more manageable. And those are the numbers that are built into our, our forecasts. And that is the consensus nationally. We look at supply chain. What's driving CPI? A lot of it is supply chain, right? This is from Moody's Analytics. Um, supply chain is still driving a lot of the shortages and some of these price increases will be temporary. We'll talk about global risks and geopolitical risks, which are brand new. But this is what was driving most of CPI, in addition to the federal spending. Um, again, there's pent-up demands for labor. You're all feeling it. We're feeling it. Very difficult to get people to return to the workforce. Um, and that is another challenge, which is also impacting um, inflation. We also expect that to level off and return, right? No one saw any of, in history, we haven't seen, right, the dramatic shutdown of the economy and then a return. And there's a lots of reasons why people aren't, aren't returning to work. That's a whole different conversation. And every economist in the country is trying to figure out, you know, the great resignation and, you know, what's driving the, the workforce changes. But we do know on the lower end of the workforce, the lower wage jobs, right, those are the most difficult right now uh, to fill. New York is recovering. So the percent change in employment, while we are lagging uh, the nation on our job recovery, we are still making progress every month. So every quarter, while we're slower to recover, we were also harder hit than anyone in the nation, and we are recovering. Our forecast shows us recovering by the end of 23. So we will return. Um, we're a little slower than the national average right now. If you look at New York State unemployment relative to 2019 before the pandemic, um, you can see that its leisure and hospitality was hit the hardest, uh, and they still right, are seeing up to 40% less jobs in that space. Uh, we are seeing that travel has returned nationally. Uh, the number of travelers has returned to pre-pandemic levels. Um, as far as flights are concerned, we're not seeing the same in the hotels, but also hotels have actually taken this opportunity, right, as we do in many recessions, right, to change their business practices. Um, and they're using less workers, right? They're not cleaning uh, the rooms as often and doing various things. So those jobs may not return. So the governor has, has focused a lot on making sure that we find all their jobs for anyone who's being left uh, behind from the recovery. 
Um, again, these are, you can see it's concentrated in New York City with regard to the leisure and hospitality shortfalls. Um, it's recovering across the state. New York City has so much le leisure and hospitality, drives so much of the economy, but also drives the restaurants, contributes to Broadway and enter entertainment, so all of that. So, so we're watching that, and we've done a few things to kind of help that industry uniquely. Subway ridership, again, we need people to return to the office in order to help areas like where we are right now. These midtown businesses are very difficult to survive if you don't have people coming back to work, you know, people coming back to the offices. So that is something that we are paying attention to. Ridership on the subways um, has not returned. But if you look at bridges and tunnel traffic, it is at or above uh, pre-pandemic levels. So people are driving. Um, they're not necessarily taking the subway, and that's something we're watching. There's two parts to that. It was the public safety issue as well. If we look at public safety issue as well as the pandemic issues um, and the concerns, and people still have concerns about being around strangers without, you know, without masks in subways, and that's something we still have to build confidence in the system. And TSA still is requiring masks on subways. So again, the New York State unemployment rate, as you can see, spiked, and it's returning back to normal. This is New York State and the nation, and we are again, we're tracking the national average. We're slightly behind but we're still tracking and we will get there. This just shows personal income and unemployment outlook. And again, it shows the dramatic drop, but a strong recovery. And there is no doubt, right, that we are on that path. Again, this shows just the just shortfalls where the jobs are lost. And again, the New York City is driving down the state average. If you look at upstate and you separate out New York City or rest of state, you separate out New York City, the job recovery is much closer to the national average, if not at the national average. So New York City is, is the unemployment rate here is what's dragging down New York. And that makes sense. It's dense. It's largely COVID-driven. And as the restrictions go away, we expect that to recover. Wages are growing um, in all sectors. So we're seeing that. And then finance and insurance versus the remaining sectors are still seeing solid growth everywhere. And that is all in our forecast. So if you look at the state's financial plan, um, the governor committed to 15, putting 15% in reserve. Um, the state has never had uh, a lot of resources in, in reserve, and that will help us deal with any, any recessions and any bumps in the road so we don't have to do what we did this time. Uh, we will reach that goal by 2025, if not earlier, so we will have those, um, that amount. And then, as Andrew mentioned, this is the first time that the Division of Budget has ever published a financial plan with no out-year gaps. You know, every year, we try to solve for a gap in the out-years because of the combination of the quick recovery and the federal resources. There are no out-year gaps, and the governor's plan is to maintain that as we leave the uh, close out this budget session. We want to close it out also with no out-year gaps. It's not a time to build gaps again um, and spend more than we have. Um, we are going to show, and we show surpluses in each year, and those surpluses, the first priority for the governor was putting money in reserve, and once you put those funds in reserve, then use the additional for spending, and most of the spending is on is one-time spending. We don't want to build in uh, spending that's going to last forever and build, building out your gaps. Spending growth is at 3.2%. Inflation is now at 3.6%, so the governor's budget is under uh, the rate of inflation, and then some of that, even that 3.2, is one-time spending. Um, and then the out-year growth is really driven by school aid and health care. 
we know the healthcare system, you know, was not, couldn't deal with the pandemic. None could around the country. But now's the time to rebuild that system and be prepared. We know what the lessons are. Build back. So we're the governor's making over $10 billion investments in the healthcare system. And then on the education side, we've had this foundation aid discussion for years, uh, and it was finally resolved with three years to get to to get to the foundation aid level on the education side. That's fully funded and still fully funded, staying within the 3.2%. Um, and then we use the current $5 billion surplus for the current year for one-time expenses. Um, and the one-time expenses are $2.2 billion in property tax relief, $2 billion for pandemic relief, which we will negotiate with the legislature, $1.3 billion for bonuses for healthcare workers, um, the largest DOT capital plan in history, uh, and a billion dollars for healthcare transformation on top of the $10 billion over multi-year and spending, and then $350 million for small businesses and this and theater industry and parts of the groups that we said were being left behind or struggling as a result of, of the recovery. $216.5 billion is the size of the state budget. It's probably the size of the, the New York State's GDP is probably the 10th largest economy in the world. Uh, so we have a pretty big $216.5 billion budget. Half of that budget, over half, 60%, is healthcare and education. So if you're increasing spending in healthcare and education, you have to control spending everywhere else. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to control spending. Um, this is the state operating funds part of the budget, excluding federal and capital, $118.9 billion. And again, if you look at our spending, uh, we are spending 3.2% overall on state operating fund side. When you include federal and capital, it's actually 1.7%, which is half the rate of inflation. The growth, again, is Medicaid and school aid. As you can see, school aid is growing by 7%. Medicaid is growing by 6.3%. Everything else is growing by 1% or negative. So we're controlling spending in every place except where the governor wants to make the investments in healthcare and education. So again, this just shows education, I mean, overall 3.2, inflation is 3.6. Uh, this is, we won't go through this, it just shows the all of the spending initiatives. But the one thing I will point out is that very top line, these are the surpluses that we were came into the budget with. We had 6.5, projecting 6.5 billion surplus this year, 5.3 the year after, 2.9, and then another four. So we had surpluses in each year. We do the spending that's on this table, and then we have zero out year gaps in each of those years. 15% is the target. Uh, a lot of the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, the Governor Financial Officers Association, have all recommended uh, at least 15%. Andrew mentioned 17%. I would say that it's we're at 15% of state operating funds. A lot of people talk about 15% of general funds. We're actually at 18% of just general funds. No matter how you look at our reserves, uh, it, we've never had anything like this amount of reserves. And we think the legislature actually understands why. Why we need the reserves are so that we don't fall into a position where we have to do cuts or raise taxes in the event of a of a downturn. On the federal side, we've got $12.75 billion. We are not spending all of the federal money in one year. We have a glide path so that we don't fall off a cliff. That's why we also published an additional year, 2025. It's not required for us to actually publish you know, that financial plan. We wanted to show that when the federal money disappears, we are still balanced. And that is why we're spending the money over uh, the five-year period, and we're not spending it in the first year. So 
we know that we, there's always going to be some crisis at some point. Since 2000, we've had 9-11, we had a terrorist attack, we have the Great Recession, then we're hit with COVID. Um, none of these are predictable. So I say we have five out-year gaps of zeros, assuming that nothing is going to happen. Um, well, we know that things happen. Uh, and now we will be prepared. And that is the governor's goal, is to be prepared so that we don't break the promises that she makes now. If we're making commitments on education and healthcare, that we have the resources to do that. When uh, Foundation Aid was last funded in 2008, the state committed to fund it. And within two years, the state had to actually cut the funding for Foundation Aid. And it took us a decade to get back to that promise. So this is trying to avoid that because we had no reserves. The Great Recession happened. Um, so, so don't repeat those kinds of problems. That's why we have the reserves. These are hypothetical recession scenarios. So we look at what is it, what happens to the state's financial plan and state's receipts in the event of a recession. So as you can see, over, if we do a simulation of a recession, we will lose tax receipts between 36 and $50 billion, right? If we have 16, 17, $18 billion in reserves, we're still only funding half of what uh, a normal recession would be. So it doesn't help us do nothing, but it, help us, it helps us get through it without doing some very serious damage overall to the economy. Um, and that's why the $18 billion that we have in reserves will help, but it won't stop. If you have a mild recession, we can actually get, get right through it without really doing any damage. So the deposits to the reserves will be made over multiple years. Right, so we're putting five billion dollars in this year, five billion dollars next year, two point four, and then two point nine, and that's how we get to the nineteen billion dollars or eighteen billion dollars, nineteen to eighteen million dollars in reserves. We still have a lot of risks, right? There are uh, COVID cases, you know, can come back, new variants, but we're better prepared. We have the vaccines. Um, herd immunity is, doesn't seem to be a, a realistic thing at this point but the vaccinations seem to be working. Inflation is a concern. We're watching it. We think it, we think it ebbs right at the end of 23. Um, and the MTA is still, if ridership doesn't come back, they'll have a fiscal crisis and the state is still right, the last resort for the MTA. Geopolitical unrest, no one knows what that is or what that could mean for us. So we are watching that, but not much the state can do except you know, be mindful that whatever happens you know, will impact us, especially as being the financial center of the United States, if not the world. Slow population growth. Um, what, we did, what we did see was as a result of COVID, uh, people did move, not necessarily out of the state as much as out of New York City. And they moved to Hudson Valley, moved to Long Island. Much of that is, much of that is, coming, is coming back, but there is some migration. Um, the biggest migration that we saw is related to salt. If you just track the timing of when things happen, you, you'll see salt and COVID kind of happening together. Telework is something new. And I always say what the what COVID did was accelerate trends that were already happening. So you had a decade of trends with relation to telework, with relation to buying uh, items online, retail, bricks and mortar retail was under tremendous pressure, right? And they for the next decade, COVID came and accelerated all of those trends. And you don't go back to where you were, you start off from where we're, we're starting off. Now. And that's, those are the changes in the economy that everyone has to get used to. And then short memories. People forget, oh, we have a lot of money. We have a lot of revenue. You have a lot of money in reserves. Uh, and then you, after a year, you forget. And then you want to spend the reserves. So that is the concern right, that we have. So in the budget, we're spending 
smartly, investing in key areas, controlling spending still in other areas. We're under inflation. Uh, we're putting you know, 18, 19 billion dollars in reserve for risks, which is unprecedented in New York State. Uh, and that is how we think we'll get through. And all of you return to business as normal. And again, it's great to see everyone's smiling faces. Uh, we'll get out of this together.